I think discomfort is the price that we pay for progress. And I mean that sincerely, because if we're not making ourselves uncomfortable in this work, in these discussions, we're probably not changing much. Hello, everyone. That was Justin Roberts, and this is Umum. I'm Carl Grashit. Justin is the Associate VP of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Center of Excellence at Kepler, a global marketing agency based in New York City. I first met Justin a few years back when we were both co-workers at a digital marketing agency in Philadelphia, commiserating over a shared fandom of sports teams that often have a little trouble reaching the postseason. I recently drove up to Philadelphia to talk to Justin because I really admire the work he's doing at Kepler, building sustainable DEI programs and initiatives across a company that has more than 600 employees. I think the word sustainability is key here because building a work culture where everyone feels seen and supported, especially those employees who are part of historically marginalized groups, doesn't happen overnight. And it certainly doesn't happen with one-off trainings or sporadic internal meetings that have no action items or logical next steps. Most often, it just starts by recognizing that, yes, there is a need, and Justin did that early on. Um, in my interview, I was outspoken about it with one of our co-founders. And about a year into me being with the company, that same co-founder came to me directly and was like, hey, we want to start up this kind of you know work, this kind of a group, just to have these sorts of discussions in the company. But we don't know who you know would be able to do it. So I kind of jumped at the opportunity. Um, and I started hosting monthly just DEI discussions where I wanted to talk about topics that were important to me. And this is back in gosh, like 2016, 2017, uh, or I guess I, I started in 2017. So this is probably 2017, 2018. Um, so we're, you know, living in a very uh, divisive political climate. I think that, you know, we are post Ferguson, we're seeing this, you know, rise in uh, social justice and activism movements. Um, so these conversations were happening more, more and more. Um, so I started hosting these monthly discussions and I think based upon that record, like that track record with the company, when a lot of other organizations, you know, started to like hit the gas on DEI in 20, you know, 2020 because of the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, um, I was very fortunate to have already established that work and established that trust you know, with other employees and with leadership. So um, I think that the the role becoming official and that opportunity, you know, being presented to me uh, was a mixture of the company recognizing that it was a need and me having already, you know, started to do the work organically. As Justin started fostering more and more discussions internally, it became clear that the work itself felt meaningful, both to him and those around him. I asked him about the difference between a DEI initiative that actually feels meaningful and one that feels like a big waste of time. I mean, I think for me, the difference is it, historically when I would go into those sort of trainings, it was usually run by someone outside the company and they would come in and they would say, you know, here is what, you know, unconscious biases or here is why we shouldn't, you know, discriminate based on race or sexual harassment is bad. And I'm not saying that those trainings aren't important, but I think it's in a person that comes from outside the company they're always going to be lacking some understanding of the way that we work, the, the work that we're doing, like who we even are, you know, in terms of like the, the people that exist within the company, the communities that exist within it. So my focus was always on understanding who is here today, what do we care about, and what are we trying to head toward? 
as an organization. So I think those discussions, you know, early on were uh, really just about like, how are, we, how are we recruiting? How are we interviewing people? What training do we have? What's a, you know, a, a component of that training? So I think the fact that I'd been working within, you know, the organization for over a year when those discussions started, I had an understanding of like the business and an understanding of like how we made money. And I also, you know, I'm a, a very outspoken, uh, you know, progressive, I guess, in my personal beliefs. Um, and on that side, it was like this merging of the two where I could talk about issues that were important to me that I knew were impacting, you know, people like myself, uh, a person that's black and native and like has, you know, lived and seen racism my entire life. Like I was able to fuse that with this business understanding. And I think that that merging of the two things uh, just made us have like conversations that were more authentic and a lot more like calling them more real, I, I think is probably, uh, I don't know, maybe a, a bit of an exaggeration, but it was not about on the other side of this training, you're going to be this perfect anti-racist. It was about like, no, let's have a discussion about the model minority myth. And let's understand that better so that way we can better support our colleagues that are impacted by that, you know, sort of uh, that sort of negative perception. Let's understand. Let's be better. Let's change systems in the organization that, you know, may produce that ideology. That was, I think, my approach to it, um, which, again, I think is slightly different than what I had been exposed to earlier in my career. Justin says that the other thing to remember about sustainable DEI efforts is that for them to work, it requires buy-in from everyone, and it needs to start at the top. And they also need to realize that it's a long-term thing. When things do go wrong, it's usually because senior leaders don't realize that, or because they're focusing on the wrong outputs, or maybe they're in denial, or maybe all of the above. So I think when people, you know, are trying to do this and it's not working, a lot of times they want immediate results. They don't know how to measure. They don't know how to prioritize. They don't know what's more important versus what's less important. I think that they perceive it as there are all of these communities that have been historically oppressed. And I am maybe a member of a group that has been the oppressor historically. So I'm both scared to say or do anything. So that fear creates paralysis. And now I'm not doing anything I could be doing. Um, I think that there's a lot of denial with it, you know, thinking that this is easier or thinking that this could be done more quickly. So I think a lot of organizations will put a lot of energy towards something for six months, nine months, 12 months. And then it's like, well, what has changed? Well, we understand that the issues that we were facing a year ago are still here. Our, you know, people of color that work for us are still expressing and continuing to express their frustration with us. So I think for me, the, the most consistent, again, like failures in DEI work really come down to it's almost impossible to measure a lot of the things. How do you measure inclusivity effectively? How, like you can look at attrition rates. Sure. You can look at, you know, retention. That's one aspect of it. But there's nothing I think that can really measure if you are a trans woman of color and you come into an organization, do you feel safe? How do you measure that consistently? I don't think that most people know how. And because of that, 
leaders get frustrated that they can't point to a data point that clearly says this investment of resources, this investment of time, and this investment of us really being more vulnerable, you know, as an organization, these investments have paid off because this data point is up and to the right. You know, I think that that is hard for a lot of business leaders to accept. And because structural change does take time, it begs the question, what, if anything, can be measured to show change in employee sentiment and satisfaction over time? Is it surveys after someone's been an employee for X number of days? Conversations during quarterly or annual reviews? Justin explains. It's a combination of a few things. So um, I do think that there are some core demographic, uh, you know, metrics that you can report on. So gender, you know, diversity, ethnic diversity, you know, age or, or uh, generation-based diversity in the organization, um, all of those things you should have in employee data files. And you should be able to, you know, understand what is our representation at different levels. I think that that's a really key ingredient. Um, because if you see that 90% of your entry-level staff is people of color and 90% of your executive team is white, that's a huge disparity, you know, and you could make that same example about any group, you know, 90% of your entry level folks are, you know, let's say baby boomers and 90% of your exec suite is Gen Z. Like that is not an equal or fair distribution to those demographics. So to me, I think a lot of it is understanding what does representation look like within the organization. And then when we see concerning numbers, you know, when we see concerning numbers about offer rates being dramatically different for candidates that are applying to open roles. You know, we need to investigate why is that? Uh, So I think that that's one, you know, aspect of what are our offer rates looking like, you know, based upon these identity splits. What do promotional rates look like based upon identity splits? What is representation as a whole? Um, You know, I think that the employee surveys that you refer to, I do think that that matters, but it's one ingredient. You know, I think it's all of these things. It's like any part of, you know, again, coming from the digital marketing side, it's like we're not just looking at, you know, site visitors. We're We're not just looking at, you know, page views or time on site or bounce rate. Like all of it matters in different ways, you know, so. I think it's it's this mosaic of understanding more deeply rather than this single metric that we can point to to say that is why we're successful. And company-wide DEI initiatives are not going to be successful if the task of implementation is placed on one single person or small group. I think that th- this work is so often put on the shoulders of a, of a very few amount of people. Um, and the people that do pick up this work, you can see you know, DEI practitioners, HR professionals, people ops professionals indexed very highly for female representation over male representation. Um, It also indexes highly for, you know, multicultural and, uh, you know, BIPOC representation in this kind of work, be it officially or unofficially. And I think that that can become such a heavy burden for you to be the person that is oppressed and also the person that needs to lead and tell your CEO the hard, you know, conversation, tell your recruiting department what needs to change while also working in your role effectively and dealing with these systems that are not built to support you. So I think that that labor being put on those those shoulders so squarely 
it just exhausts. And I think that that leads to what so many organizations deal with, which is now we're just spinning our wheels. Now we're just bringing diversity that leaves after a year. You know, we have higher attrition rates, you know, for uh, the communities that we're working harder to actually recruit and bring into the organization. So that, you know, that turnover, I think, becomes a really, really big issue for for a lot of different groups. Um, And so much of it is really just born out of not necessarily understanding like what the issue actually is and not understanding that you can't just tell someone to do this work. You as a leader need to be a part of it. And you as the leader need to set the expectation that if we share in this work across every person within the org, that burden becomes a lot less on all of us because it's so equally distributed. So what should companies, businesses, or schools, large or small, do if they're just starting out or maybe are less mature in developing their own sustainable DEI practices? Justin says it starts by honing in on mission, vision, and values and defining what's most important. What are we after? Like, what values do we have for DEI? I think that would be my first recommendation to any organization is what are your values and then how can all of the work, all of the initiatives bubble up to the different values that you set? Because you're employees should be able to tell you, oh, our DEI values are we want to diversify our workforce, we want to create societal impact, and we want to create an inclusive company culture. Those are three really simple things for anybody to understand. So me as a new hire, it's like, okay, these are the values we have anytime that I do something you know, within this organization. These are things that I should be mindful of. I think that a company needs to figure out what those things are for them and then build out DEI programming, training, you know, that is going to really champion what those values are. Um, and the ones that I gave, like genuinely, those are the, the values that we have, you know, at Kepler, which is why I speak to them. Because when we talk about diversifying our workforce as a value, that's why we have the, you know, recruiting partners that we do. That's why we review so closely the questions that we're asking of candidates. That's why we report on offer rates, you know, to candidates that are based upon, you know, identity splits. All of that bubbles up to diversifying our workforce in meaningful ways. And the same thing can be said of the other values that we have. And at the individual level, Justin says folks can get started by seeking out resources that are likely already around them. I mean, the first thing is educating themselves on the topics that, you know, that matter. Um, Because I think that that's, you know, education for this kind of stuff predominantly is free. You know, it's publicly accessible. So I would encourage anyone that's on that, you know, very early step in the journey uh, to start doing research into, you know, DEI discussions that are happening today. Um, So a lot of studies that I, you know, studies that I point to um, include the, you know, McKinsey Diversity Matters studies or diversity in the workplace studies, which show the business value for DEI and also a lot of challenges that employees are facing. Um, same thing goes for the McKinsey Women in the Workplace study that talks about a lot of challenges that women face within the business world. So I think you can, you know, we all sort of have, a, in a way, at least in the United States, because DEI looks very different globally, you know, outside of just the domestic uh, U.S. world. Um, but at least in the U.S., I do think that there is this sort of inherent understanding, like culturally, I think there's just a lot of discussion around 
communities that have been impacted, you know, by oppression historically. So LGBTQ plus communities, you know, women in the workplace, uh, black, brown, you know, communities, uh, differently abled or disabled folks. I think we all have sort of like an inherent understanding that these are groups that we need to find ways to support. Um, so I think in researching what support they need, I think that's a free and important starting point. So that once we say like, okay, maybe at 10 people, we don't have representation for, you know, these different communities, but can I understand if people were to join us from a trans background, from, you know, a, a first generation immigrant background, would they feel comfortable in this organization? You're not going to know until you understand what those lived experiences look like and feel like. So research, I think, is free and research you can do. And then that research, I guarantee, is going to inform the systems that you build out and the way that you continue to grow the organization. It's going to expand your understanding of how we recruit, how we interview, how we hire. And that, I think, leads to the diversity that so many organizations are so desperate you know, to actually find in authentic ways. It's important to remember that if you yourself already do have a sense of comfort in your workplace, or even just in your regular existence, that's a privilege. And you need to recognize that that might not be the case for other people that you work with. You know, like so much of what we talk about is based upon physical safety and psychological safety. Um, And I just don't think that a lot of workplaces focus on those things and ensure that not just for the majority of their organization, but for everyone that could possibly join the organization. You know, I think so often we get in the habit of what resources do we need today versus if we were to bring in anyone of any background, would they feel safe here? Would they want to work here? Because if they wouldn't, then we are losing out on the opportunity to bring in unique talent, to bring in unique perspectives. And that's how we innovate. That's how we have new ideas. Because if we only hire people that are cis, het, white men from the Northeast, we're going to think in real specific but real homogenous ways. So I think in closing, um, my hope would would be speaking as a, a white dude who's in his late 30s, like that conversations about race and accessibility, inclusivity and equity continue to be uh, front and center, especially for white people. They, they need to continue having these conversations and not be afraid to get a little uncomfortable because if that's the extent of your being uncomfortable in the world thus far, like you haven't really experienced any hardship. So I would hope that these conversations continue to be like a part of the, the norm across working institutions, companies, schools, et cetera. Um, if, if you think about the role that you're in and the type of work that is happening at Kepler and hopefully at other institutions, like what do you hope the situation is in the next five to 10 years like if for professional work and employees feeling like they can be themselves? Sure, sure. I, I mean, the first thing I'll say is your point about discomfort. I say this a lot at Kepler, but I think discomfort is the price that we pay for progress. And I mean that sincerely, because if we're not making ourselves uncomfortable in this work, in these discussions, we're probably not changing much because we're comfortable now and something needs to change for us to be different and get outside of that comfort zone. So I do think that discomfort is often that cost you know, to actually make real progress. Um, And I think about, you know, the next five to 10 years, I I don't want to see the energy dissipate. 
Um, I, I read a lot about, you know, civil rights leaders of the 1960s, 1970s, who I genuinely admire. And I think what frustrates me is the, the arc of human history we have, you know, starts and, and stops and, and ebbs and flows and ups and downs as far as progress being made. And I would just love to see that this kind of work, something that I do think was given a lot of energy, born out of very painful moments for very specific communities. I don't want that to start to dwindle. You know, I don't want that energy to, to start to fade. So the next five to 10 years, I want, you know, more diversity roles to be fully dedicated. I want more resources for the teams that are supporting this work. I want it to be something that touches every level of an organization and not just certain individuals within it. Um, I think that this should be something that's tied to compensation. I think this should be something that's tied to performance reviews. I think that the measurement behind it and, you know, the transparency of it, salary transparency is a big trend in the industry right now. I would love that for just reporting against, you know, ethnic demographics and age and gender based demographics. So I, I want to see progress being made across as many companies as possible. Because for me, if I can work myself out of like this role needing to exist, that means that progress has been made to the point that DEI is no longer a role that someone needs to exist in because it is a fabric of every organization that is out there. That was Justin Roberts, who graciously hosted me a few weeks back at his home in Philadelphia. Also, shout out to Josie, who is turning 10 this month, who barely barked at all during the interview. I hope someone listening finds value in this conversation. Thanks, Justin. The music for this episode is from an artist called Halizna that I found on the Free Music Archive. Check out my website, umum.studio, where you can find links to some of the resources that Justin mentioned, and you can also learn more about the show. I've got a LinkedIn company page, because of course, and an Instagram, so check those out too. And lastly, if you enjoy the show, I'd really appreciate it if you tell somebody about it, because word of mouth is always the best kind of marketing. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time.